Ah, the smell of perfect pizza. The carpet of wet leaves on the sidewalk. Ambulances and traffic running 24-7. Intimidatingly fashionable outerwear. New York City is one of my favorite cities in the world, and there's no better time to be there than the fall. I mean, have you seen When Harry Met Sally? Come on. And how much more beautiful will all of our cities be when they're perfected in the love and the grace of God? But how shall they know about his grace unless someone tells them? What better place, what better time to come and refresh yourself on the art and craft of preaching than New York in November? Register now for Preaching in a Post-Christian Age. This is a three-day living church conference in the heart of Manhattan where you can enjoy world-class keynotes, conversations with experts, warm fellowship with other Christian leaders, and hone your skills as a preacher of God's word. And we might have dinner at a speakeasy, just saying. Tickets start at just 50 bucks. Find more information at livingchurch.org forward slash events or click the link in the show notes today. That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. It's the same old song, which is a song by David Wilcox, a sort of uh, popular with the boomers, folk artist. But it's also the name of our podcast, and we're here to sing the same old song of the gospel in these readings for... Sunday, September 10th. But before we get to that, Jake, how are you doing this glorious morning well, here in it is. New York City? It's, it's Well, it's actually it's blistering hot. I don't know. Whatever was hanging over Texas has made its way here. Mm-hmm. So uh, we are in an oven. So, um, But it's great. Everything's great. Everything's fine. Do you know what oh, fine means? I do, but please tell our listeners. Feelings inside not expressed. Everything's fine. So That's everything's right. fine. So... Uh, No, we're great. Enjoying Labor Day, and uh, here we are, um, remembering that Jesus is our ultimate rest from our labors. So, (laughs) that's right. It's good. And uh, and you, well, you made me think of the um, uh, dysfunctional family Christmas, which was a Mm. sketch on SNL. It was like a commercial for a a bunch of Christmas carols, but reimagined and rewritten for a dysfunctional family Christmas and the mm. the carol of intimacy was um it was uh uh Dana Carvey going please go away I'm doing fine leave me alone please go away which is that's so good yeah which is yeah that's what people mean when they say fine a lot of times not always well but, uh, but I'm doing okay thank you for asking uh good. and thank you for caring yeah mm. doing okay I always care, and that's really one of the themes of our readings this week, is that care, God's care, and uh, His uh, longing um, love for us that leads to repentance. Another great segue. Yeah, so we've got, mm. uh, we're on track two 
Sorry, track one people, if you're going to preach Exodus 12, you're on your own mm-hmm. with this Passover reading. But we covered we, it a couple of years ago. Yeah, you know, you can find it in the archives. Ezekiel 33, 7 through 11. Then we've got Romans 13, 8 through 14, and Matthew 18, 15 through 20. These readings are, I will say also, thank you, lectionary committee, mercifully short. Uh, mm. And in in it's there is actually a real clear theme that runs through all of them. So we'll get to that in a second. But uh, as you preach through them, if there's a Sunday that you wanted to kind of tie it all together, this is one where you can where you can uh, do mm-hmm. that more easily than maybe some others. Not that you have to. Remember, don't mm-hmm. try to do too much in your sermon. Say one thing. But let's begin with this Ezekiel reading um, where God is talking to Ezekiel and saying, you're a sentinel for the house of Israel. Basically, you're, you're posted on the wall to watch. Uh, and uh, you're supposed to warn people. That's what a that's what a, a, a person who's the the watchman does. When you see something, you have to tell everybody. You know, there's a you know something's bad's coming. That was like the thing in Maui that messed up. Like they didn't do the the uh, alarm siren or whatever the alert that uh, supposed to get people into safety. So you're a sentinel, and God says to Ezekiel, whenever you hear a word from a mouth. Give them a warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and do not speak to them to warn them to turn from the ways, the wicked shall die. But their blood is on your hands, basically. So he's saying, like, I'm telling you what to say. You got to say it. If you don't say it, then that's kind of on you. But if you do say it and they, they don't repent, they don't turn from their wicked ways, they shall die in their iniquity, but you will have saved your life. So um, it's about God telling Ezekiel to say a hard thing. And I don't know about you, Jake, but I do not enjoy hard conversations. I do not enjoy going to somebody and saying something to them that will make them unhappy. As a clergy person, I have to do it much more frequently than I would like. Um, but in our, in you know, whether you're ordained or not, in your personal life, you probably have. Sometimes you have to say, you know, this thing that you did, I didn't like it, or you know, you gotta stop this thing. So. Hard conversations, yeah. and this is God saying you got to have a hard conversation. Um, how would you preach that's, this if you were uh, preaching it? That's very powerful. I think, uh, you know, something you said, um, someone once told me, a wise pastor said, you know, you, you, you're never a person's pastor until you tell them no and they still keep coming to church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know, but I mean, I found that to be very true. Um, and I hate having hard conversations as well. But, uh, you know, I think it's really good. To, it's important if you're going to preach Ezekiel, set the context a little bit. There's some interesting stuff going on. Uh, Ezekiel was a prophet the same time as uh, Jeremiah. And uh, Ezekiel, he was a priest. And so um, uh, the Babylonian exile happened in two, two waves. The first wave, they came and they took everybody. And then there was the second uh, wave which destroyed everything. And so um, Ezekiel is part of this first group who's gone and um, and he's living there and everybody was like, okay, well, that's as bad as it's going to get. And, uh, and so Ezekiel, he prophesies around the same time as Jeremiah. And his point is, is that, um, no, it's going to get worse. There's another shoe. And uh, there's, a, there's another shoe about to drop. Yeah. Everybody thinks everything's fine, but it's not fine. And uh, and that is the hard conversation. And if I was uh, going to talk about this, I would talk about, you know, just kind of the, the importance. Well, I don't know if I would talk about this, but for a preacher right now, if you're studying and getting ready for your text, it's important to remember that your job is to be faithful and uh, not necessarily successful, but uh, it's to be faithful. And I know that was like a real hard thing 
when I came to New York and realizing I thought the gospel was kind of like a means to an end. Oh, everybody's going to hear this and they're going to love it and they're going to and that's not necessarily the case. People came here and they were like, what the hell? You mean like, you know, in a city full of go-getters and and uh, tryhards, it's, uh, you know, what do you mean? Like I can rest and I don't have to do anything. And, and you know, and people transfer that craziness onto the church. So, um, but your, your job is to give them the gospel and give them the goods. And, uh, but the other thing that comes screaming out of this text is the very end um, where, um, where uh, God continues to call them. And, uh, and this verse is, um, this, 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 this passage is like, a, like you begin to see really God's heart and uh, he cannot and his heartbreak over uh, the loss of Israel. And so uh, you see God's both his holiness and that he can't overlook Israel's wickedness. But at the same time, uh, he's not going to stop loving Israel either. And so, and uh, the same thing goes with you. You are totally forgiven in Jesus Christ, and he will never, ever. Now, your sins are as far as the east as the west because of Christ. But the good news of the gospel here that uh, Ezekiel points to is that Jesus will never stop loving you either. Yeah, and this here is um, is is like a, an intervention. Uh, and yeah. I think it's important to have that context because many times people think when the Bible tells uses words like you know the wicked like don't mm-hmm. be wicked turn from your iniquity people hear it through this lens of oh you're judging me you're telling me how to live like you're not the boss of me that God's always you know getting in people's business and this judging moralistic <laughs> whatever and that is not what's going on here if you think of an intervention that's somebody whose life has sort of is is falling apart. It is, a, it is a train wreck, it is a dumpster fire, they're hurting people, they're hurting themselves. And so people who love that person gather around and say, these are how your actions have affected me or us, and if you don't get help today, you're going to die. <laughs> um, please get help. If you've, uh, Jeff Van Vonderen did this really well. The only interventionist I know of to be explicitly mentioned in an Eminem song, but he was on that show, Intervention, and you would see mm-hmm. this time and again, where it's not... It's not like we're judging you. It's like we just we love you and we don't want you to die. And this is what's happening here. And so you see the heart behind when God says, turn from your wicked ways and live. It's not because God is some cosmic killjoy. Um, it's, uh, it's as it says in verse 11 here, which is this verse is so powerful. I, God says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Like I want you to turn from your ways. And the Israelites themselves are even beginning to like they're at a point where they're ready to hear this because um, in verse 10, Ezekiel is told to say to the house of Israel, look, Israel, you have already said our transgressions and sins weigh upon us and we waste away because of them. Like they realize that they have, um, uh, you know, bet on the wrong horse. They they mm. have, um, uh, to quote Mr. Brownstone by Guns N' Roses, we used to do a little but a little wouldn't do it. So the little got more and more. And now, now we're like, now we're being, now we're in control of the thing we thought we were in control of. Now it's controlling us and and it's killing us. And so God says, I don't, yeah, I know. And so that's what I'm saying. Like, come back to me because I love you. I don't, I don't want you to die. I have no pleasure in the death of anyone. This is mm-hmm. in the, um, the uh, old conf- confession, uh, the, the old prayer book. We have the, an even song service at St. Albans based on the 1662 prayer book. And, um, and this is, we said this last night uh, at our even song service. Um, 
you desire not the death of a sinner, but rather that they would turn from their wickedness and live. Um, and that's where it comes from. So this is this is um, uh, God's intervention to people. And I think it's eminently preachable. Like it's an invitation to recognize the part of your life that's causing you to waste away. Um, and it's an invitation to return to the one who loves you. It's not an invitation to come back to God so he's not angry at you. He's yeah, super right. upset. It's like super time to go to the principal's office. This is, an, this is a reminder from God, I love you, and I want you to come back to the place of life and love and wholeness and grace as opposed to the things that are killing you. Like stop eating the shards of glass. <laughs> come over here. Mm. I've got some delicious tapioca or no, I don't know, people don't like that. Whatever your thing is, um, <laughs> the opposite of shards of glass in your life. Like come back, live. So uh, so there's a lot of mercy here and it's it's not just a, you know shaking your finger at somebody and excoriating them for being a bad person. Yeah, that's great. That's really good. And well, that brings us right into uh, chapter Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14, uh, where um, Paul, uh, Paul speaks to us descriptively about uh, kind of what that intervention begins to look like in our lives. Yeah, and he's writing to people who are Christians. He's writing to people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who are baptized into the body of Christ. Um, and so he's saying this is what the this is what that life looks like. And this is one of those passages that can be preached in a way that, you know, as I said, that the kind of theme running through is saying hard things to people or or saying things that could be received as hard things. So Ezekiel, that's definitely he's being told to say a hard thing to Israel, but you get the why behind it. Here, Paul is saying, if not hard things, he's definitely saying direct things. Um, uh, he's giving commands, essentially. Don't owe anyone anything. Uh, you know the commandments. Um, but he gives you kind of the reason, the why behind it. And mm-hmm. he says, like, you know all the, the rules. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't covet. Don't steal. But he says it's summed up in this thing, love your neighbor as yourself. So he kind of lifts up the hood and say, look, these are not just rules that you follow. Like, you know, you really you really want to commit adultery. You really want to murder. You really want to covet and steal. So, but just don't do those things. Just stop. No, he says, like, look, look what's underneath the hood here. Love your neighbor as yourself. So j- just like with the Ezekiel passage, it's saying, like, God actually loves you. That's why he wants you to stop these things. He's saying here as well, like, love of self and love of neighbor. That's what we're about. And you got to start with loving yourself and then knowing that you're loved by God. And then from that flows out this love of neighbor. And um, so he, he roots it, he grounds it. And of course, Paul knows that God is love. And that's what he's inviting you to kind of to come back to. Um, and because these things, uh, as he, the t- things he talks about later in the passage, reveling, drunkenness, debauchery, licentiousness, quarreling, and jealousy, those are things that actually um, uh, kill you and, and kill your relationships and, and um, yeah. uh, hurt the people around you, hurt your own self. So he's again, he's not he's not he's not the giant rainstorm falling on Burning Man, ruining everybody's party, which is yeah. uh, which has just happened as we're uh, as we're recording. Know, this. That's, that's um, so funny. All those hippies stuck in the mud. He's not trying so. to ruin things. He's just saying like, <laughs> love yourself and love your neighbor because God loves you. And so he's invited. He's describing what that looks like, and he's inviting inviting yeah. people into that. Right. This is not that uh, famous American bumper sticker that probably is at Burning Man for sale that says Jesus is coming back, so look busy. Right. You know, this isn't about being busy for God. This isn't about piety. 
Rather, this is what Paul is saying here is essentially when you think about your life, I mean, life is long, uh, don't get me wrong, but life is also short and uh, your neighbor needs you. You know, um, I may not have issues with orgies, <laughs> but uh, quarreling <laughs> and jealousy, you know, you never know. And so, but uh, in this age, like in this age right now, it looks like New York City at uh, five in the morning. And at five in the morning in New York City, um, uh, it's dark and it still appears to be night, but uh, morning has arrived. And so uh, what happens is, is that when we forget that morning has arrived, and this is what St. Paul is speaking about, is this kind of life living in this moment of the already and the not yet. Uh, in this age of overlap, sometimes when darkness appears to have the upper hand, it's just easier to stay in bed. Uh, you know, when darkness seems to have the upper hand, it's easier for us to just, you know, it doesn't appear like God's in control, so let me take control, or let me just kind of self-medicate. Uh, but mm -hmm. the truth is, is that what Paul, that's what Paul is talking about here. That's to be asleep and uh, to be sleepwalking. And uh, what he's saying here is it's time to wake up. And why is it time to wake up? Well, it's time to wake up because Christ has died for you. Christ is risen for you, and Christ is coming again for you. And uh, what this allows us to do is live in the world and uh, live in the world for the sake of our neighbor, live in the world truly free. Uh, this uh, idea that Paul is coming across here, it separates us from the world while allowing us to serve the world um, in our callings. And so uh, therefore we can respond to the culture and we can even influence the culture as Christians uh, because we are awake and we know that this is not all there is. Right. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, it is true. By the way, this like this stuff that Paul goes through—the list of things not to do—it's like I wonder what those Romans were doing. Like, <laughs> did Paul have some reports? Like, the the NRSV is carousing in drunkenness, sexual immorality, and debauchery. <laughs> yeah. Which, but it, yeah, that's that's Burning Man right there, or whatever. You know, it's it mm -hmm. is it's a little it's what you think of in the Roman Empire. So, uh, yeah. and he's he's uh, you know it. it Samuel used to say peccato, like maybe these, these Christians needed to hear this because uh, definitely. I mean, some of those knows, old you know? ways. I remember listening to, uh, to an old uh, Pentecostal pastor preach, and he had started a church in like, um, in like downtown L.A., and he was talking about how he had converted, like all that he, like how God had like converted all of these like hardcore thugs in his ministry, and uh, he was talking about how they had like rescued this woman off the streets and the pimp was coming after him and he called like members of his congregation to come out and help him. And he was like, now when I backslide, I may lie a little bit or, you know, uh, have a beer. And he's like, but when these guys backslide, they kill people. And so, <laughs> yeah. So I'm sure his like church looked a lot like Rome. And so, but it was such a sweet story. He's like, but when they backslide, they kill people. And yeah. anyway, <laughs> we've all been so, there. Uh, so, I will you know, say yeah. The, um, the final thing here just to say about verse 14, this is a verse that was used in, um, in my Christian life in the past as one of those like, um, don't, don't be bad, like that old, mm -hmm. uh, what's that, the clip, um, uh, who's that actor, bald guy, Bob, Bob Newhart, and he was in a sketch where he played a therapist and this woman came to him telling her problems to him and he was like, okay, here's, here's my answer. Stop it. Mm. Stop it. And obviously, which doesn't work like uh, that. If people could do it, that's they wouldn't be in therapy. And people Christians do that with verses like verse 14 in Romans 13. 
which is clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So I was given that verse as like, it'll be, it, it was sort of like my Harry Potter spell, like m- just memorize this verse mm-hmm. and you will, and use it, say it out loud um, and you won't sin, uh, which didn't work. <laughs> Uh, it's a pretty simplistic understanding of how sin works. I think if you think you can just yeah. um, use 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 a verse like a magic trick, but um, right. when he says clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, it's telling them, he's reminding them um, who they are. They are already clothed in the righteousness of Christ. He's he's saying basically, when you are tempted, preach the gospel to yourself. Don't preach the law to yourself. Remember Amen. that you and to clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's saying you are forgiven. You are your righteousness. You don't have any. Your righteousness is Christ's, and it has been given to you. Remember that you are fully loved, fully accepted, fully forgiven, wrapped in the righteousness of Christ, um, wrapped in the love of God, um, and uh, and come back to that. This is an invitation not to the law, but to the gospel, um, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and, and I think it's just important to, to hear it that way um, as opposed to some sort of, uh, again, yeah. So how this connects to, this connects yeah. to Ezekiel is, is that, so make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Okay, let me just do it. You know what I mean? That never works. Um, but rather, you don't do that because there's an intervention that's already occurred. God has stepped into your life and right. uh, he has stepped into your life and uh, he loves you and he's forgiven you. And, um, and so, uh, that's the thing is that, you know, time, time is short. And so, and, uh, and there's wisdom and, and, in the church. Well, go ahead, Jake. Sorry. I got excited. No, no. Go ahead. No, well, but just, time is short and, 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 you know, yeah, we got, we got, there's stuff to do. And that is to share the good news that, uh, others have been forgiven as well. Yeah. And the, it's, I love preaching passage like this in the context of our liturgy, because we already are teaching people. Cause like, if you just have this. And there's no liturgical regular form of confession. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It does sound like, okay, guys, you're forgiven in the past because of what Jesus did. But going forward, make no provision for the flesh. Like, yeah, get it together. Get it together moving forward. And But if you come to a church, an Episcopal church, Lutheran church, whatever, like a Catholic church where there is some regular liturgical rhythm... Everybody in that church, if they've come to it more than twice, knows that next Sunday you will again confess your sins. And the Sunday after that, you'll confess your sins. And the Sunday after, so the, like, there's this implication underneath it, like, that we never fully graduate from our humanity, as they say. Um, mm-hmm. we, we're going to continue, like, um, to need the grace of God. And so you hear this verse in that context. I think it helps understand it. It's not like, mm-hmm. a, okay, you've got a pardon from, you know, presidential pardon, but don't do it again. It's like it's, uh, it's, it's in that context of understanding this is our human process. of God doing the work in us over time. Yeah. And it's a process. So, all right, Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. This is one of those verses or passages that Bible-believing Christians love, and they say they believe it. Because the Bible is the Word of God, but almost nobody does it. Or if they do it, they do it sort of badly. But this is about what to do, you know, speaking again about hard conversations and saying things we don't want to say things. If you have beef with another member of the church, and um, what do you do? This is Jesus' instructions to the church. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when you're alone. If they listen, great. If not, go with two or three, you know, one or two others, some witnesses, 
if they don't listen then, then the whole church. And um, uh, it also, at the end of this passage, by the way, has this very famous verse. It's quoted all the time. Verse 24, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. I am there among them, which many people don't realize is in the context of church conflict. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, people say where two or three are gathered, you know, Jesus is with yeah, us. Yeah, it's not a justification and all, and for always, the low attendance at a pizza party. Yeah, that's right. It's like, well, it does, it's, or it's not like, you know, people say that and it's like, look, church, we're here together. By the way, don't call your church church. It's so like I know, objectifying. God. But uh, um, church. yeah, but here we all are together and we're two or three like Jesus is with us. Like, no, this is about conflict. It's not about Kumbaya and singing around the campfire holding hands. It's about conflict. So uh, in conflict, when two or three are gathered in my name and in the good times, but both situations, Jesus is present. I think that's important to remember. But yeah, so this is a passage that people say they believe, but don't normally do. Like if somebody sins against you, what you usually do is go tell somebody else about it. Um, I don't want to go to the person who hurt me and say, hey, you hurt me when you did this thing. Um, Let's hash it out. Um, No, I'd rather go tell five people and post some vague thing on Facebook about how something hurt me or why I'm angry at the church. And um, by the way, none of what we're saying excuses or minimizes people who are abusers in the church. And uh, if somebody has traumatized you, if you have been a victim of abuse, I'm not saying you go to that person who has hurt you and subject yourself to further trauma. So, mm-hmm. um, but we're talking about, this is the kind of thing where, I don't know, like there can be significant church spats and arguments and conflicts that don't, that aren't abusive. So this is, gosh, it could be any number of things. Um, it could be a, a church staff member um, doing something unwittingly that undermines the ministry of another staff member. It could be scheduling an event that conflicts with some other thing and therefore draws people away from that the event. Or it could be um, just a comment, a word that is not meant hurtfully but is received that way, all kinds of things. And so what this passage says, there's a couple of interesting things. It's, it's, um, it's, um, f- it's first going directly to the person who's hurt you in a way that is trying to do the opposite of what we often do in our internet age, which is to publicly shame people first. Somebody hurts me, I want to publicly shame you, either with a group of people or online. And it says, no, first go just one-on-one so that they can hopefully repent and not be embarrassed and shamed publicly so they can be restored. Um, I, I have often been leading staff meetings and somebody will say something that I'm like, actually, I don't think that's correct. Or that's, that's actually not what, this doesn't happen all the time. It does happen though. But I'm very conscious about not, I'll say, hmm, interesting. Like, okay, let's move on to the next thing on the agenda. And then after the meeting, I'll go to that person one-on-one and say, this is actually, when you said this thing, it's actually not hundred percent accurate. Like we need to hash this out. And um, so, you know, this idea of giving, one of the ways you give grace to people is by not embarrassing them publicly. That's good. I think, uh, yeah, this uh, passage follows, uh, the section above is very important because the section above is about the parable of the lost sheep. And so this is a reminder that uh, God goes after the lost sheep. So this is about how we handle each other in community. This isn't about confrontation for confrontation's sake. So this particular section in 15 through 20 is about how that sheep, that lost sheep is restored back to the to the community. And um and uh, I wish the church was uh, more in line with this in confronting people. Oftentimes we just kind of sweep it under the rug and hope it'll go away. 
But um, so with this lost sheep coming back now, this is how it's restored to the to the to um, to to the fold. And if you notice here, it's very important that um, uh, Jesus says, uh, "I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed." Um, in heaven. And uh, this is, who Who did he say this to? Well, uh, two chapters back, he says this to uh, St. Peter, you know what I mean? Whatever you bind in heaven. So now this authority, the, the authority that has been given to Peter and the apostles is now given to the whole church. And this is about how we handle each other. Um, we, um, we don't allow people to run rampant uh, uh, in our con congregation. You don't, you can't do that. I remember uh, there's an old saying in AA, uh, everyone is welcome, but the one, the needs of the one never triumphs over the needs of the group. And here's this interesting story I was going to share. I remember one time there was this very, very handsome hipster uh, who was coming to our church. And um, I mean, he was he was just a good looking man, a high jawbone uh, and, uh, you know, or cheekbone. What is it? But anyway, he was good. He was a good looking guy. And anyway, but uh, he was coming to Jake my evening Hall. Just kidding. Yeah, that's right. He was coming to my evening service and uh and come to find out, he had um, he was um, dating several ladies at one time in the congregation, and uh, and anyway, two of these ladies were just devastated because they thought that they that he was the one. And so anyway, um, but he was uh, you know running ladies off left and right because he was breaking their hearts. So finally, I had to like sit down and talk with him. And he, I remember, never forget. He, I said, "Hey man, what are you doing?" And he was like, "Yo man, I thought you were a grace guy." And man, that really pissed me off. And uh, and I was like, I totally am a grace guy. I'm uh, not talking about your uh, personal relationship with God. I'm talking about your personal relationship with these ladies. And what you are doing is is like Paul talks about. Uh, you are uh, you're not you're not serving them at all. As a matter of fact, you're hurting them, and you're hurting people in this congregation. And. Um, I would love to say that oftentimes these conversations work out and people are restored and come back, but I mean, I rarely see it. I never saw that guy afterwards. But the point is, is that that uh, this isn't this is about uh, not letting people run rampant over your uh, over your church, and this is how we handle one another. We have no uh, business going around and correcting the moral behavior of individuals in general citizenry. Yeah. But um, if your brother or sister sin against you, um, uh, then you, you should go talk to them. And that uh, Christianity, um, that we've all been given these keys to bind on earth and to loose. We've all been given these keys, law and gospel. Um, and it is so that we might uh, see Jesus clearly. The point about two or three being gathered together in his name, this is very powerful too, because what Jesus is saying is, so back in uh, Judaism, you needed 10 to 13 men for a minion, going back to Abraham, if there's 10 righteous in the city, and so that you needed 10 to, to do a liturgical function, specifically forgiveness. And what Jesus is saying here is, nope, 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 uh, two or three are gathered together in my name. I will be there in the midst of them. And I'm not in the midst of them justifying the low attendance at the beach party. I'm in the midst of you forgiving you. And this is why you continue to treat them as tax collectors and Gentiles, because um, I'm a friend and I'm for tax collectors and Gentiles. Right. Right. So this is all wrapped into a very powerful message of the forgiveness of sins. Yeah, I think that's so key. This verse, uh, which Christians have used as a way to like justify shunning people and cutting mm -hmm. them off, verse 17, you know, if the offender refuses to listen even in the church, let such one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. 
like Jesus meets Gentiles and tax collectors and he calls them into discipleship. He like he calls Matthew a tax collector. He's like Zacchaeus a tax collector. Like, come on, let's hang out. So um, so God's mercy is still uh, extended to them. And I think, again, this is important to remember. The, um, the thing here also is like the, this sinner gets three chances. There's the one-on-one meeting. There's going with one or two other people at the most to talk to them, like a little group meeting, mm-hmm. a little mediation. And then there's finally like, yes, then there's the church. But all these things are, you, you don't get one chance, you get three chances. And all of them are designed, hopefully, to bring you back to the church. Uh, not to shame you, not to get vengeance, not to like hurt you like you hurt me or whatever. It's, mm-hmm. it's to, to, the ultimate goal is to bring them back. And if you're in a place where you're going to have one of these conversations, you have been hurt by someone, you're going to talk to them, make sure you have done your own spiritual homework prayer, preparation, so you don't go in, quote-unquote, loaded for bear, but you go in saying, I too am a sinner, but I value our relationship so much. You have hurt me, but I hope to restore this relationship Mm. and reconcile. Um, How can we do that? Help me understand what's going on. Um, Coming in with a position of humility, which is how Christ comes to us. So I think uh, this is is hard work. We'd rather ignore it when it's hard. We'd rather talk to other people when it's hard then talk to the person who it really is about but mm-hmm. but this is the instructions that that jesus gives us and again so all these passages are about um sort of hard conversations or saying a thing that is true when it's not comfortable um but it's all they're all rooted in love for the sinner love for the one sinned against um and the all rooted in the love of god trying to build communities that reflect what grace looks like in mm. real life it doesn't mean you'll never sin or never have hurt feelings or whatever. But when those things do happen, this is what grace looks like when it's lived out in practice. Grace in practice. Mm. Who said that? Yeah, I don't know. Mm. <laughs> PZ it, shout it really out. does. It accentuates. Um, all three of these readings really accentuate uh, God's love for us. And indeed, his desire, not the death of a sinner, but uh, that we would be forgiven and that we would be made truly alive. And as you preach these passages, make sure you end on the gospel, that mm-hmm. you help them, the congregation, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, that you say, yes, Jesus, because there are two or three or more gathered, he is here among us, and what he's doing is forgiving us. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus, putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, he is clothing us in his righteousness. Uh, um, he desires not the death of a sinner, rather turn from their with wicked ways and live like he, he ground it and root it in the love of God and let that ring in their ears as you as you land the plane as you preach these passages amen all right speaking of landed the plane I think we're done here yeah all Let's right everybody home. we'll talk right. to you soon somebody's looking somebody cares somebody wonders what you're doing today you know we crucified him buried him but Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside ready to rock and roll.